David, choir, musicians, thank you. I don't know how many of the folks in the congregation get to see you after a Sunday service. You all go that way to put your robes up, and uh, the congregation goes that way. So, uh, twixt the two, you probably never meet. But I trust that some of them will, at other times when they see you, express their gratitude and that of the whole congregation for your ministry to our hearts. You lead us in worship, and we are grateful. Thank you to all. I would like to add a word this morning of appreciation to Layman's Fellowship for the banquet last night. It was, I found, to be a delightful time, and a special word of thanks to Seth and to our young people. Uh, They served, and uh, if you went hungry, it wasn't their fault. Uh, So we are grateful to the Lord for them and for uh, all of our young people here at the church. Now, I understood that there were a few. Seth told me this morning that I should be uh, much more active in the pulpit. And I looked at him and said, what are you talking about, man? He said, well, a few of our kids went to the prom last night and didn't get home at 3 o'clock. So if they're here, you need to pound on the pulpit or whatever. They're going to be asleep. So uh, I don't know that I'll do that. But anyway, we, are th- we thank the Lord for our young folks. <laughs> if you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to Jeremiah chapter 1. I find there are many parallels Uh, from Old Testament prophets to the saints living in the church age. And I want to draw some, I believe, um, reasonable parallels uh, from Jeremiah's day. I have preached on Jeremiah before, but uh, it's been quite some time. And I'm thinking about it recently for some obvious reasons. I have never preached through the book of Jeremiah. I don't know why. Uh, I have done uh, some teaching out of the book, but never just verse-by-verse study all the way through the book. And I'm not going to start that now, but I do want to get to the several chapters, uh, a couple of verses out of several chapters uh, in the book of Jeremiah this morning, drawing parallels from Jeremiah's day, our day, and what Jeremiah was supposed to do, and I believe what we are supposed to do. So that's where I'm headed. And if you have your Bible open... Uh, my first text will be Jeremiah 5, 22 and 23. But before we do that, would you pray with me, please? Father, this is your word. It is not the word of man. It doesn't come from the heart of men. Uh, it came from the pen of the Holy Spirit as he used uh, men to record and to write the word of God. And I pray that God the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Help us to have open minds and open hearts and open ears and take the truth that you have for us home with us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are living in a day when, by and large, God is ignored. Men and women plunge headlong into vice and are giving full expression to their reprobate minds. In our country, and I think around the world, justice is breaking down. Standards are being perverted that um, have long had standing to the people of God. And those standards are being replaced by the evil machinations of the minds of godless men and women. It seems to me, just one man's opinion 
that men today have gone far beyond the bounds that God has set. And our world, I believe, stands on the front edge of judgment. Our nation has, for the most part, forgotten God. The Bible says of men, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And I don't think we have to look far to see that. Well, Jeremiah faced a similar situation. In the prophet's day, the nation Israel stood on the brink of the Babylonian judgment. This, mind you, true of a specifically chosen, specially loved, providentially cared for nation, Israel. And yet that nation, in spite of all of God's grace, mercy, love, rejected God. And because of that rejection, God was going to bring judgment. Jeremiah was a prophet of doom. You know, today we as preachers can stand in the pulpit and, and, and we can bring wonderful message on praising God, on the love of God, on so many things that are upbeat and encouraging to the saints of God. And we need to do that. We need to be about that. But we need to remember where our nation is and what our calling is as well. Jeremiah was a prophet of doom. In the machinations of my mind, I sometimes wonder if, if we could put Jeremiah in front of a congregation and ask him questions. I wonder how he would respond. Did you like the ministry that God had given you? Did you like being a prophet of doom? Did you like spending perhaps as much as two years in, prison, in a prison cell? A whole raft of questions come to my mind that I would love to ask the prophet. Jeremiah 5.22 and 23 sums up the situation for us. If you look there with me, 5.22 and 23. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble at my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea. An eternal decree, so it cannot cross over. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over. And then would you look at the next verse. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. What's he saying? Well, just look at the text. Does not my majesty represented in what's stated about him. Does not my majesty cause you <clears throat> to fear me? And how can you not be in awe of a God who can place a strip of sand and bind the sea? How can a person see God's power in controlling the sea and turn his back on God? How can man sin against so great a God? And yet, Jeremiah says, they have turned aside. They have departed. Men either forget or refuse to see that God is in control of everything and has always been and always will be. 
And ultimately, the same God who controls and confines the sea will control and confine man. The Apostle Paul in Philippians says that every knee will bow. My thought is sooner rather than later. But the God who places sand as a boundary for the ocean gave his people his love his promises, and his covenants. And those were to form Israel's boundaries. His love, his promises, and his covenants. Those are guidelines set out for the nation. They were to control the nation. They were to confine the nation. But Israel would not be restrained. The nation rebelled and overstepped their God-given bounds. Unlike the sea, Man does not know his bounds. And this is the thrust of Jeremiah's prophecy. My people are a rebellious and they are a revolting people. They have not considered God. In fact, they have forgotten God. They have gone too far. And so Jeremiah's time was a time of judgment. Everything Isaiah said a hundred years before Jeremiah was going to happen at the end of Jeremiah's time. Isaiah said, judgment is coming. Jeremiah said, judgment is here. One man put it this way, Isaiah prophesied at 11 p.m. Jeremiah prophesied at midnight. Jeremiah preached for over 40 years, 42 years in fact. During that time, just a bit of history, During that time, he saw five kings come and go. The first one was a man by the name of Josiah. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that Josiah was a good king. At the end of his reign, there was a time of reformation. There was a time of revival. Josiah went up to the groves, the places where idol worship took place, tore them down, demolished the idols, cleansed the land, from idolatry, Josiah was a great reformer. All that's good. All that's plus. Sadly, however, the results of Josiah's reformation died when he died. It seems fair to say the people followed Josiah because they were attached to the person. They were not attached to Josiah's God. Their hearts remained unchanged. And so the revival ended. Reforms were over when Josiah died. You know, I wonder at times if that kind of thing couldn't be happening in our country. Are we caught up in celebrity Christianity? You look at the great conferences. Uh, stuff crosses my desk, and I'm sure you get it in your mailbox. Uh, uh, come to the Co- Greensboro Coliseum or somewhere, so-and-so speaking. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but if you'll, have you ever thought about who speaks at those conferences and those conventions? Famous athletes, successful coaches, beauty queens. And they get up and say things like, this is what happened to me. Wouldn't you like that to happen to you? 
there is a preoccupation because they fill up coliseums and, and great auditoriums. There's a preoccupation with famous people. That's a fact. The only question is, is that all there is to it? A preoccupation with famous people. If so, it won't have any lasting value. I am concerned about the days in which we live. Revivals and true reforms historically have always affected the church because true revival always results in righteous living. Always. But what do we see when we look at churches in general today? A mad rush for pleasure, divorce, breakup of homes, rampant materialism, madness for success, and I could annotate that further, and so can you. But these things belie the fact that there is any kind of genuine revival that's going on now. Our society seems much like that of Jeremiah's day. If our society isn't at midnight, I believe it's at 1159 and counting. Jeremiah preached, godly man, 42 years. People heard, but they didn't listen. God's Word didn't change the people. They were disinterested in the Word of God. They were hard-headed and stiff-necked. The second king during Jeremiah's time was a man by the name of Jehoiahaz. He was an evil man and only on the throne for three months. He was followed by a man by the name of Jehoiakim. This man put back into place. Can you imagine this? This man put back into place everything that Josiah had torn down. He put it back in place. He was an appalling man. He was followed by Jehoiachin. He ruled for three months, and he too was evil. Zedekiah was the fifth king in Jeremiah's ministry. He was a weak, vacillating man. He saw the direction of his nation, but did nothing about it. He couldn't do anything about it because of the evil that was present in his own life. So Jeremiah saw five kings, Josiah, Jehoiahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. One was a good king, but with a phony revival. And then there were four evil kings. And then came judgment and the Babylonian captivity. At that time, the Bible records what I believe to be one of the saddest verses in all the scriptures. They hung their harps on the willows. Why would Israel do that? Hang their musical instruments on the trees because they had no song to sing. The land was desolate and they were in captivity. Their glory days were gone. Again, Jeremiah preached 42 years and for 42 years the situation grew worse. Now, that's a rather sad litany. I realize that. But if, as I have suggested, these are valid parallels between Jeremiah's day and our day, and I believe they are valid parallels, what are we to do? What's our responsibility in light of the day in which we're living? Well, I think Jeremiah gives us something of a pattern, and we need to live as he did. 
he had a mandate. He had a call from God. And that was of primary importance to Jeremiah. He was called out of his society. He had a divine mandate that lifted him out of his society. And he was to preach judgment, a message of judgment, unequivocal. That was his calling. I fear at times that we water down our evangelism so that everybody can get into heaven even if they don't believe the right things. We are living in a day when even the church blanches at condemning sin. We soft soap. We cajole. We want to pat everyone on the back so that nobody gets offended. And we say that we're doing it in the name of love. But you know what? Nobody loves any more than God. Nobody loves any more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so far as I can find, nobody loved any more than Jeremiah in the Old Testament. At least nobody cried any more than he did over what he saw and over the condition of his nation. The issues of our society cannot, must not be bypassed in the name of love. seems to me that, 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 that our love of God and, and His love would require that we tell the truth. Now, I don't mean become like the Pharisees, heaven forbid that, but we tell the truth about our days and about what's going on in our days. Jeremiah had that call. He had that mandate. And if you'll turn back with me to chapter 1, in verses 4 through 10, there are three particulars in that mandate. Chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying... See, Jeremiah didn't gin this up. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Notice, before, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb... I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. What this tells me is that God prepared Jeremiah. Before Jeremiah was born, God knew him. Before Jeremiah was born, God appointed this man a prophet. To me, that's amazing. Jeremiah had been set apart from his society, and his one purpose was to speak to his people and to speak not just to Israel, but to the surrounding nations as well. This man had a word from God, and he was to declare that word from God to his people and to the surrounding nations. Look at verse 5 again. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Again, he had been set apart with a word from God. Before he was conceived, God knew him, set his love on him. Before Jeremiah came from the womb, he was ordained as a prophet. Now, that's Jeremiah's biography, if you please. He was a man for a troubled day. You know, I find it interesting. When we face a crisis, and when there's a problem in the church, just to, to fun, bring this down a little bit 
closer. When we face a problem, we tend to think of programs. God never did that. When there's a situation that needed to be met, God called men and women to address it, and He equipped them to do just that. Jeremiah was prepared by God, called and prepared. My friends, I believe that's true of us. We stand, I think, at a crucial time in the life of our nation. And I've heard from some of you in the last weeks, what's our nation coming to is what I've been asked a number of times. That's part of the genesis for what I'm doing this morning. God has, I believe, prepared us for just such a time as this. Called us, redeemed us, and set us here to accomplish a ministry for Him. That's our calling. Before you were born, God designed you to be a part in His family. He designed you to stand for Jesus Christ in an evil day. Sadly, many people who call themselves Christians are so busy with creature comforts, so busy fitting into the current fashion of our day, making sure the dress is right, making sure they drive the right car, making sure they have the right stuff in their house. So busy with all that, we get lost in that milieu. And we miss out on any sense that God has called us, God has redeemed us, God has predetermined us, set us in this place to speak to our generation. Jeremiah's whole nation was called of God to serve as a witness to the surrounding nations. They failed. And God called a man, Jeremiah. And he has called you and me. There's a very interesting verse in the second chapter of Jeremiah. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. But now what are you doing on the road to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? Or what are you doing on the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? I believe what Jeremiah is saying to the people is, what are you doing messing around with the muddy Nile River? What are you doing looking for waters in Assyria? Don't you remember the cool streams of Lebanon? You see what he's saying? He's asking his generation, why are we so involved with the world around us when we've got a message from God, we have been called of God to speak to this generation, not to be like it, but to speak to this generation, to tell them the truth, to invite them to repent. But you know, when God reproved the nation Israel, they simply hardened their hearts and stiffened their necks. I think in 2.18, Jeremiah is asking, what are you doing messing around with this kind of lifestyle? You're called of God to be a witness. Not everybody's called to be a preacher, but all of us, hear me well, I believe all of us are called to speak to our nation. And we start that with where we are, with our neighbors, with our family, with our community, and go on from there. We are called of God, and we must be faithful. Jeremiah was prepared by God. 
But then he also had God's provision. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. Remember the other person who said that? That was used by somebody else as well. I can't speak. Jeremiah says, I don't know how to speak because I'm a youth. The Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. Jeremiah, but Lord, I don't have the experience. Somebody might be here thinking, I haven't been to Bible college. I haven't been to seminary. I'm not called to do this. I beg to differ, dear friend. God equipped his prophet, and he has equipped you and me. I prepared you from the womb. I will speak through you. Isn't that wonderful? And I believe the same promises given to us. I will speak through you. I'm not calling you to come up with your own message. I'm not calling you to gin up something. I will speak through you. Let me use you. I believe that's what our Heavenly Father is saying. I will equip you. I will provide for you. Let me use you. You know, that's the same promise Jesus gave to his disciples when he was leaving. They were afraid. He said to them, don't be troubled. I will send another to draw alongside of you, and he will help you. He's talking about God and the Holy Spirit. The implication, if you'll look at verse 8 for a moment, do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Verse 8 indicates that it's going to be a tough time. And that came to pass. As I referenced a few minutes ago, Jeremiah spent a couple of years in a prison cell. Even so, God was his deliverer. For 42 years he preached in difficult circumstances. And for 42 years it got worse. Question. Why didn't he just quit? I don't mind telling you. If I had preached for 42 years and spent part of that time in prison, I think, forgive my foibles and weaknesses, but I think I would have come up with the question, why don't I just quit this? You know why Jeremiah didn't quit? Because he had the heart of a servant. And the heart of a servant is not concerned about being successful. The heart of a servant is concerned about being faithful. Folks, there's a grand difference. The heart of a servant is about being faithful. Well, in Jeremiah's call and mandate, whichever word you want to use, there was preparation by God, and there was provision by God. Third thing, there was power from God. Verse 9, the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms. Notice what he was to do, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Remarkable. God took one common man from a backwater village. And God said, you are my man. You will speak to the nation. You will root up and tear down. 
You will destroy and you will overthrow and you will build and you will plant. You know, you don't have to be a king to have power. You don't have to be a governor to have power. The greatest power in the world is God's Word. And we have God's Word. I venture to say there's not a home represented in this congregation today that doesn't have four or five or six Bibles. We have the Word of God. Verse 10 says, I have appointed you over the nations and kingdoms. Jeremiah, imagine this man, this seemingly insignificant man, but God took him from a backwater village and made him a supervisor of the whole world. That's what that verse is saying. Do you realize that you have the power of God, that I have the power of God resident in us? We have been prepared by God before we were born. We have been provided with words to speak by our God, and we have been empowered by our God. We have a calling. I won't put this in a definite form, but I do wonder. Have the glory days of our country passed? Will they ever return? America is not interested in God today. And we must be people who speak the truth. We must be the people who call for repentance, say, this is right, and this is wrong, and this is where we stand, and this is where we need to be. We need to call our nation back to God's truth. It may sound like I'm in despair. I'm not really. There's hope because we have the Spirit of God resident within us, and we have the Word of God. And like Jeremiah, he speaks to us and says, don't be afraid. I'm not asking you to come up with your message. I've given you the word of God. You have the truth. Speak it to your generation. Don't be timid. We have preparation. We have provision. And we have the Holy Spirit question. What are we doing with what God has given? I have to answer that. But so do you. May God speak his truth to our hearts and help us to be serious about his calling today. Let's not just do a little stuff around the edges. Let's get in the middle and speak God's truth. Don't be timid about it. What are you going to do with what you have? been entrusted by God with what are you going to do what are you doing with it what am I doing with it pray with me Lord there are strains of Jeremiah's day in our day and we have given we have been given so much just as Jeremiah was God give to us I pray courage grant us wisdom grant us courage For the facing of this hour, we've sung that just a few moments ago. Help us to realize we don't have to do this alone. We have God's Word. We have the Spirit's power. We know what is right and what is wrong because it comes right out of your Word. And yet, Lord, because of our humanity... 
there is a strain of timidity within all of us. And we find some of the most wonderful sounding excuses for not doing this. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And the list goes on. Now that's not an excuse that Jeremiah used, but he had his other excuses. I'm just too young. I don't have the experience to do that. Lord, deliver us from being so creative at coming up with excuses. Help us to face the truth of God and to speak the truth of God to our nation, to our generation, to those that live and work where we live and work. Help us to trust you and to speak the truth. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think it's needed. Number 295 in your hymn book. Revive us again. God needs to stir. We need to have our hearts stirred. We need to have our souls stirred. This is not just an old hymn of the 40s and 50s. I think this is the crying need of the hour in which we are living. Revive us again, O Lord. Fill each heart with thy love. Stir us to be about your business, not about ours. Folks, are we going to leave here this morning same way we came in? I can't answer that for anybody but Ross. Okay? You have to answer for you. Are you going to walk out of here just the same as when you walked in? You were singing, may each soul be rekindled with fire from above. If you got a soul, you were singing that about yourself. And you do have a soul. May each soul, mine. Yours, the person beside you, the person behind you, be rekindled with fire from above. May God speak to his people. That's my challenge to you today. Mark Massingale is our deacon of the day. Mark comes to lead us, and I know Mark will be praying about other things, but we need to pray for Mark and his family as well. His daughter is getting better, and very candidly, I hope Mark doesn't mind my saying this, but I asked him last night at the banquet, Mark, how's your dad? And he said, year, maybe two. His dad is going downhill. So while he's praying, let's pray for him too. Mark? Okay, now let me get myself back together. <laughs> Thank you, Ross, I think. Um. Pray with me, please. Father, we just sang, you showed us the Savior and scattered the night. Um, We live in a time in our country where um, we're challenged, uh, we're worried, we're concerned, we're not sure. But today, from a seasonal and spiritual calendar, We just transferred from the cold darkness of winter to the beautiful promise of spring and a risen Savior. Our Savior went to the cross, went to that dark time so it could be completed and we be restored. Let us take responsibility for that individually, as a church and as a community, to show our world that. We pray today for Ashley Heather Holloman, Kate and Sarah, as they minister through crew at Penn State University in a realm of academia, which 
takes the knowledge of the world and tries to, to soften or reason down the gift you've given us through your word. Strengthen them as they minister to that. Strengthen us as we hold that dear. In Christ's name we pray.